What's up, everyone? Welcome to the midweek, where, you know, just three best friends hanging out on the couch, chatting about the sermon, maybe throwing some shade at Scott. We're glad you're here. This is your host, <laughs> Melissa Fennell, joined by my co-host, Jake Blair. What's well, up? What up? Great intro. Thank you. I worked real hard on it. <laughs> With us, our best friend sitting in the middle of our of the couch, we've got Pastor Adam Gibson. Hey, Hello, Adam. Jacob. Hello. Delighted to be here. I can tell. Before we get into the sermon from this week, we do have someone who filled out the form over on our show notes. So go to, go ahead, go over to the show notes, fill that out if you have something to say. Listener Kenny says, hey, Melly, Jake, and lovely guest, I have a local spotlight. Local spotlight. We should say the phrase. You'd rather be here. Columbia. That's where you'd rather be. Says, I have a local spotlight. I wanted to shout out some of Columbia's local artists and public art. First, there's Blue Sky, whose tunnel vision mural and fire hydrant sculpture are always worth showing people who are visiting from out of town. Okay, guys. All right. It is the world's largest fire hydrant. Wow. Whoa. Which adds some value. Oh, yeah. Is it operating? (laughs) This is hilarious. Okay. The tarp was finally lifted on February 18th, 2001 to the roar of fireworks and an Elvis impersonator. (laughs) And it was broadcast live on local TV. This is how they unveiled it. Unbelievable. Also, why, why in Elvis? It's called Busted Plug Plaza. The hydrant is designed to look tilted and broken as if it had been knocked cockeyed by a giant truck (laughs) water initially sprayed up at random angles from the base it was meant to be a fountain but the pumps gradually failed (laughs) (laughs) the water was reduced to a trickle and it was finally shut off in 2012 (laughs) 2012 so they kept this going for a decade Uh It gets better. Fulfilling the original intent of the artwork, Sky positioned it so that people could take snapshots with the fire plug in the foreground and the tunnel mural behind it. World's largest fire hydrant, everyone. You'd rather be here. And let's go ahead and get into the sermon for this week. Adam, thanks for preaching for us. Yes, sir. Which I imagine was maybe one of our heavier sermons that we've done in a long time. That's fair to say. I know you spotlighted in the sermon that on the midweek, we are going to highlight some more stuff about that commandment. And what about all the exceptions, quote unquote, and how does that sync up with that commandment? So we will just go ahead and and get into it. Let's go ahead and let's take the abortion uh, example. So something I hear a lot and want to hear sort of how do we think about this from a biblical perspective, that there are exceptions where we as Christians would say from a popular level, I have heard it is okay to abort a child if it is in the case of incest, in the case of rape, and when it comes to the mother's life is potentially at risk. Sure. So yeah. we can take that one by one or all three at the same time, just however you prefer. But just how do we think about this stuff? So the reason in the sermon that I tried to center the argument on the question of whether or not abortion is the taking of human life is because as soon as you get downstream from that question, it gets it can get very complicated very quickly. 
I don't love it when people try to make it seem like it isn't complicated. <clears throat> it it can be. It can get very complicated, especially if you start talking about what the laws should be. So not what is an individual person ought to decide morally, but what how should we legislate for that can get there's just a lot of complications there. And there's a lot of questions yeah. to answer. And it doesn't mean that there aren't probably some right and wrong wrong ways to think about it. But it's not simple at all. I think it's much more simple to start with the first question. Is is abortion taking a human life? And that I think you can answer cleanly with Bible. And honestly, I even think with science and logic and all of it, which is mm-hmm. try, where I tried to come from, uh, short but sweet, but tried to come from there, from that place in the sermon. Um, and then everything else is downstream from that. So it, it matters. It's just that it's downstream from answering that that first question. And so that's that's where I think <clears throat> when people talk about how should we think about things that might be exceptions when it comes to abortion, you got to make sure we're still starting with the first question first. Is it the taking of a human life? And uh, people might not like that I say this, but I think downstream there's way more room for faithful Bible believing Christians to disagree and we can disagree passionately. I don't think there's a ton of room. There's a lot of issues like this in in our faith where some stuff you kind of can't disagree on. You're outside of Orthodox belief. Mm -hmm. And then there's plenty of other things where it's like, I believe the Bible exactly the way that you believe the Bible and we just come to different conclusions. And some of the questions about abortion, I think downstream can fall in the category of we believe the Bible, we're all doing our best faithfully to follow Jesus, and we just disagree. Mm-hmm. I don't know if these three are in that or not. I'm just I'm just trying to give all the <laughs> give some <laughs> all the disclaimers and sure. the categories. Yeah. <laughs> so here is how I would think about it. And I don't want to say that I'm saying this is what our church necessarily needs to believe or what other people necessarily should. I don't think. It's just how I would think about it. The reason it's important to start with with the question of, is abortion the taking of human life? And then let everything else come downstream. And we can take the the example, the first one of, of incest. Obviously, that whatever is going on there, it, that's a complicated issue in and of itself with all kinds of things that need to get sorted out. Uh, but I don't think that we would say that I, I assume, I assume part of the argument for why an abortion might be okay in that, in that case, in the case of incest would be a higher likelihood of genetic disorder, uh, or, or whatever. But I don't think what we would say is a person who has a genetic disorder isn't human or alive. So that to me would mean that I would not say that abortion would be okay because I still think that person, they just have a likely, have a higher likelihood of a genetic disorder. I don't think we would say that then means they are no longer a human life. Mm -hmm. So that would be how I would reason that one out. Uh, In cases of, of rape, I could not even begin to pretend to be able to understand all of the, the damage that goes on and the ways in which someone would even begin to try to cope with something like that. The only thing that I would say, and then keeping, keeping it on topic, is 
I think a child or a, or an adult or whatever who is born as a consequence of rape is a human life. And while I cannot begin to imagine what that puts on a victim of rape who finds herself pregnant, I don't think that we would argue creating another victim is the right response. Hmm. And so I would not begin to presume to be able to sort through everything that would need to happen there for, for health and healing and all of it. Um, but I think the right way to reason it out is that someone who is, who, someone who is here as an adult person now who is born as a result of rape is a human life. And so we shouldn't take human life. Hmm. And last one, mother, mother's health. I, I have actually not done a ton of research on this or even really thought it through or seen what other Christians think about that. To me, if we know that the mother is going to die, then I would say you keep the mother alive and you're, and you're going to lose the baby. And I don't even know that I would use the word abortion for that. And that might not be medically correct. To me, that's sure. just, we're, we ha we're keeping the mom alive. Yeah. Uh, and I assume those those situations can get wildly complicated and complex, mm -hmm. and you're dealing with variables of, variables of percentages of pop possibilities and all that stuff. So I, I don't even know how you'd think through, you know, ten percent chances versus ninety percent chances and all that stuff. But to me, the, I would prioritize the the mother's life for sure. Yeah. Uh, in that scenario, and I'm I'm sure that there are Christians who would aggressively disagree with me on that. But yeah, I think that's how I would think about it. What would what would y'all say? I think I would agree with you as far as if it is either or it is either both of you no longer live or the mother. Then to me, that's I would not think, even a question. Right, right. So I lean towards that, but also I know lots of people have different views on that. Yeah. I will even go ahead and highlight we have resources in the show notes so that good biblical content of people's sort of like different viewpoints and how we are wrestling with this. Yeah, that's helpful. Melanie, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I just, I can't imagine a scenario like looking at a mom and being like, oh, well, you're going to have to die. What? Like, I mean, so I would, yeah, no, I would agree with both of you on that, I think. And I will say, so another another part of it is as Christians, when we look into heartbreaking scenarios, we're not just called to speak the truth. We're called to practice compassion and empathy and generosity and kindness. And I don't want to take that for granted. It's not our mm. only role to say what people should or shouldn't do. You know, so I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea there. And in the overall, if you want to call abortion an issue, those examples that that are debatably exceptions are less than 1% of the abortions that happen in America. Mm -hmm. So you're not really talking about a central problem. It's not even really a peripheral one. It, mm -hmm. It's pretty far down on reasons why abortions happen. So they need to be handled really carefully and lovingly and all those things. Yes, yes, yes. I, I wouldn't want anybody to get distracted. If you're thinking of just abortion, like it's an issue, uh, those are less than 1% of, of the actual reasons given for abortions. Yeah. And I think what makes it tricky, especially as a Christian sort of navigating this, is that to me that's, that comes off as a bit of a red herring, right? Well, 
it, it, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's a red herring. I don't know. It could be. It's just downstream. It's not a red herring if that's a situation you find yourself in or somebody that you know and care about. It's more like if we're talking about it as an issue and is it morally okay or not? Is abortion morally okay or not? And you're trying to maybe centralize one of those three, then it, I guess it probably is a distraction. It certainly wouldn't be a, um, a disconnected distraction if it's part of right. somebody's story. The way I tend to see that those exceptions brought up is usually on a public format. Of, oh, okay. Oh, so what about this? Got you're it. okay with that then? <clears throat> Got it. So yeah, and then it probably you, you, it's just it's just downstream. Sure. So I don't know that any of them are red herrings necessarily. If you've already answered the first question of mm. is it or is it not the taking of a human life? Now, if you answer that, well, then I, I think everything you can talk about. You can talk about how what's the government's role in that, and how should we think through implementation of whatever the government's role is, and what sure. about these potential exceptions? To me, that's all fair game. If people are are have the courage to answer that first question. Mm -hmm. And the reason those things can become red herrings is a lot of times people don't want to keep it centered on that first question first right. and, and be given honest answer there. And, and I just think you have to, because it changes the way you answer every other question down, oh, yeah. the, down the line. That brings me to a next question that someone on the, on our form on the podcast, they filled this question out for you. Uh, they asked this, can someone be a Christian and support abortion as a policy, but not in principle? For example, can someone say that they themselves would not have an abortion, but that they would support them as a policy? Fair like, question. I would want to change the language just a little bit from can I to should I. So the technical answer to can I is, yeah, you can be a Christian and support all kinds of right or wrong things sure. <laughs> uh, politically. Sure, sure. Of course, we're yeah. saved by grace, not by our political affiliations or beliefs. So mm -hmm. the answer to that question is, of course. And mm -hmm. that would be on a long list of other things that I can, you know, be right. a Christian and do. Should we, I think, is a different topic. And it's even further downstream to me because once you start talking about what should the government do— then you're actually dealing with general questions like what should any nation's particular government system build their laws and structure on? How much should it prioritize a Christian worldview? As Christians who believe the Christian worldview to be true, it is easy for me to say all of it because it's true. It's better. It's, it's mm -hmm. human flourishing. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm right when I say that. But if... I was Muslim. I would find that to be incredibly discriminatory, uh, and it's not hard to it's not hard to see that. It's not hard to see if you're an atheist. This is not a pluralistic society that we signed up for. I don't think we should. So all all legislation is moral, all of it. There's mm -hmm. no such thing as as amoral. You are legislating morality. What's the best way in a pluralistic society for us to agree on what our morals are going to be that are foundational. And part of the reason we have a hard time having any debate right now is because we don't agree on any of them. Mm -hmm. And in some of the documents that our nation was built on, it anchors back to our creator and the rights that we have from our creator. But if you don't think we have rights from a creator, then you're not going to be able to, we're not going to really be able to discuss a lot downstream. We don't have any foundation to even talk about morality. We don't. Right. You have to just assume it. Mm -hmm. So you have to assume that individuals have rights, but I can't prove it. Mm -hmm. I don't have an argument for it. We just do, and it's we should. 
Mm -hmm. So it gets really difficult to have any profitable. And so what happens is uh, you're not looking for profitable discussion. You're looking for power so that you can assert your viewpoint over other people because there's no way to coerce uh, or persuade, not even coerce, to persuade. There's no mm -hmm. way to win. And so it's just a mess. All this is a mess. And, you know, like MLK argued from the Imago Day to persuade people that all human beings are equal in God's sight when it comes to worth and value and dignity. But if you say, we don't come from God, we're not made in God's image, well then how in the world do you prove that all people are equally valuable and worthy of dignity and respect? We right. certainly don't produce equally. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't bring as much value monetarily to our country or to our society. So what are you even, it's really hard to make that argument if it's not from coming from the Imago Day. So all that to say, that's a complicated question. Yeah. I think, here's how I think about it. If abortion is the taking of human life and I am called by God to value, prioritize human life and very clearly throughout the Bible, I'm called to uh, protect, speak up for, advocate for people who are not being treated as though they are image bearers. Now, that is a consistent theme cover mm -hmm. to cover in the Bible. I think it's inconsistent to say this is the unjust taking of human life of a person who cannot advocate for themselves, who cannot speak for themselves, who cannot give their opinion on the matter as to whether or not they'd like to live. I don't know how to square that with Scripture and come to a place where I'm firm and fast saying... I am fine if this is, I'm totally supportive of it being legal to take human life, yet I believe all that the Bible says about my call to advocate for mm -hmm. human life that's being treated as less valuable. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to square those two. Now, that I'm not saying that necessarily means everyone has to make this the biggest issue that they care about. I just, I'm just answering the question as it was asked. Sure. I don't know how to square what the Bible says about human life and the call of God's people to advocate for it where it's not being valued with a full okayness about abortion being legal here and now. I just have, yeah. a, hard, I have a hard time getting there. Yeah. I think there's a, a part of it too with morality is all coming from some metaphysical worldview. So if I'm an atheist and I'm vote. I'm going to vote according to my worldview. Muslim, therefore, voting according to my worldview. There is no such thing as voting or enacting morality separate from a sort of worldview. Right. So I think yeah. there's this tendency like we are told Christians leave your worldview at home, but yeah. when you come to the public sector, you got to like remove that. And nobody does that though. But that's that's, that's this, not a thing. Yeah, it's it's a false like argument. even, a, even a secular worldview comes from a worldview. And I just think if you change the variables, that logic immediately falls apart. So if as Christians, we wanted to advocate for enslaved persons and say human beings should not be owned by others, and someone said, leave your Christian morality at the door, we would quickly say, no, I won't do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry, because mm. I'm right. Mm -hmm. Because human persons should not be owned 
period. Yeah. And you can, you can like it or not. I don't, I, I can't be a Christian who thinks this is wrong, but then okay, the legislation of it. I just can't be there. So that's to me, I think maybe even changing the variables yeah. can help us see, oh yeah, uh, that would be inconsistent. Sure. Adam, thanks for, thanks for that answer and sharing. And this is a hard topic, but someone's got to talk about it. So we appreciate you doing that. Quick swerve in thinking through murder. What about like in cases of like self-defense? What is there like a place for that? Yeah, there are. There are a couple of exceptions. And I was, this would be, again, something that some Christians would disagree on. And I think it's it's OK. But uh, an example of an exception would be from Exodus 22, verse 2. It says, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. Hmm. So it's the idea of God telling his people, if if it's self-defense, if somebody's breaking into your house and he ends up dying, you're not guilty for that death. Now, not all Christians would say that necessarily means all the self-defense laws that we have in place in our country, that's but that's not what I'm talking about. It's like in the Old Testament. Biblical context, this is the same book that also says do not murder. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Book of Exodus. So the word, the word kill it's used somewhere around 43 times in the Old Testament, and it, and it means murder, or you're like accused of murder. And it's not the word that's used in times of war, except for maybe one exception. And it's not the word that's used when it's talking about a judicial execution. So there is a distinction between terms that are used there and the word that is found in the Ten Commandments. Numbers 35, 19. The murderer shall certainly be put to death. So the word murderer is the word rahats. comes from the word rahats, which is forbidden Ten Commandments. But the word put to death is a different word. It's a general word that sometimes describes a legal execution. So there are arguably some exceptions there. And generally speaking, when the Bible talks about killing that's justifiable, those are the types of categories. It would be self-defense, war, or a judicial execution. Those are the theoretical exceptions. Not necessarily exceptions, just the theoretical ones. But what about... Matthew, where Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Someone slaps you. Yep. So, so the, when people would say we should not exercise self-defense, that is a potential one of the passages that they would use. I don't think that's the best one to use because that's not in context of a physical attack endangering your life. That is in context of an insult. You're being slapped. Mm -hmm. It says you're, you're slapped. A slap is like a dishonoring, disrespect insult, not a... Stab. He doesn't say if someone tries to stab you, turn the other cheek. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't actually think that's a very good argument. I do think, don't people come uh, more consistently? They come out of Jesus telling disciples, put away your swords. My kingdom doesn't advance by the sword. And people will kind of infer yeah. from that. And also using Jesus and like his crucifixion Certainly. as a, therefore, if someone attacks me, wants my life because I know I live for another kingdom. It's like, what is, yeah. what is this life? Yeah. And I don't know. I, 
this is not something I've invested a ton of time and research into, but I would probably even have a different category for someone's trying to kill me for my faith in Jesus and make me a martyr. And they're trying to kill me because I claim Christ. I would say is different from a random just broke into my house with my wife and my kids, and I'm going to need to do something. Mm -hmm. To me, I would put those in different categories. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. And I think do not murder and the positive spin is therefore like protect life and all of life. Pro self-defense is someone's trying to take my life and the life of others, but I'm called to protect life. So in this extreme situation, yeah, self-defense in order to protect the lives of others. Yeah. Similar, I think, arguments with just war theory. That's a key word, just war. Yeah. So in the Old Testament, when God explicitly tells his people... I need you to go to war with them. That's a just war for sure. Mm -hmm. The further away you get from God explicitly telling the geopolitical nation of Israel (laughs) during the Old Testament times that they need to go to war, the more cloudy the concept of just war becomes. To me, that's what the debate is about. The debate is not necessarily about is killing appropriate in just war. The biblical answer to that is yes. The debate comes, how do we we know when it's just Mm -hmm. and... That just gets complicated. Very tricky. I'm not saying there's no scenarios. To me, you're going you're going to knock off Hitler and and stop the Holocaust. Just war. Go get them. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, was there more going on and more involved with that for sure? But I'm just using that as an example of. I'm pretty sure we were doing the right thing there. Yeah. You know? Like we look up, sure. we look back on that one with some confidence of. I think that was the right thing for us to do. And even still. Lots of Christians who love Jesus and love the Bible would side with Christian pacifism. Uh, I think about the movie. I haven't seen it, but Hacksaw Ridge, Mm -hmm. the true story of the Mm -hmm. guy, refused to hold a gun in World War II. So he became a a medic on the field. Book that's also going to be on the show notes, talking about a biblical stance for Christian pacifism. I have not read it yet. I've heard great things. So much of this stuff is not black and white. And so... I feel like we need to be gracious with one another and how we talk about it. Yeah. Big time. And I don't feel like, or at least what social media would say is that there's no grace in these conversations and we need more of that. I think. Totally agree. Absolutely. Totally agree. And I'm hopeful that clarifying what I think should be black and white for Christians and then what gets more complicated, the further downstream you get is a helpful framework for people Mm -hmm. to know what do we need to probably agree on? And then where is there room to just see it a little differently and learn yeah. from each other and maybe just agree to disagree? And I don't know exactly what all those are even. Like, sure. I'm not saying that I got all the categories right. I just, I think, I think that idea of let's start with the first question first and then understand everything flows down from that is at least the right place to start. Last question for you. And this is, is another user submission. They say this. I work in the medical field with patients who are critically ill. Often family members and medical staff are faced with decisions regarding whether to continue or withdraw medical treatments, which may keep patients physically alive, but don't offer full recovery or continued quality of life. How do we as Christians make sense of the quality of life decisions in light of our belief that God is the giver of life and human life is sacred? I would say that's another one where there are a lot of variables. So that's a a general question when a particular situation would have a lot more variables to consider. I think you want to have the posture, generally speaking, of we want to value and preserve life. 
at some point, I know that there are situations where maybe an elderly family member is being kept alive by, you know, medical equipment and whatever. And at some point you're aware that they're never, they're never going to be able to be removed from this. And you're, you know, quote unquote, pulling the plug. And I, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that must be. I, I think at that point, if you know they're never going to be able to be off of that equipment, I, I think at some point that is, that's what you're doing. You're doing your best to preserve this person's life. And at some point you realize their days are numbered and this is when God has allotted for them to go, hopefully go be with him. And I will say there is nuance here too, of there are categories of, we would acknowledge an elderly person uh, when it comes to the category of assisted suicide, we would say, now that is, yeah, that Agreed. is a uh, taking of life versus that's right. Someone is in steep decline. And we're doing our we're doing our best to keep them alive and we're realizing that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. Is very different from assisted suicide. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, it's all hard. It's all hard. Mm-hmm. Once you once you start talking about the everyday realness of it. Well, Adam, thanks again for preaching for us. I know this is not an easy subject, and this was something you and the other pastors of our church were really wrestling with to make sure that we are saying things as biblically and as cleanly as and as nuanced as we could would encourage y'all for those listening praying for conversations that are going to be had in life groups this week praying for all of us as a church family to practice wisdom and charity and love and discernment when it comes to this issue this is something that like adam said earlier that we may land differently when it comes to some of these conclusions but we are still called to be church family we're still called to practice christian charity so let's do that That's all we have for this week. That's all we got. We'll see you all later. Bye.